if we had venture funded, we probably would have used Amazon S3 as the underlying storage. And we would have said, look, it's too expensive. We're going to lose money on it, but we'll figure it out later because we've got $10 million in cash. A lot of times companies addict themselves to expensive motions and expensive behaviors because they have the cash bootstrapping forced us to make decisions that were thoughtful about cash at the expense of not being able to move as fast on certain things. I'm Pep Lyle. I don't do fluff. I don't do filler. I don't do emojis. What I do is study winners in B2B SaaS because I want to know how much is strategy, how much is luck, and how do they win? This week, Pleb Budman, CEO of Backblaze, which offers affordable, easy cloud storage. They went public in 2021 and did over 85 million in revenue in 2022. In this interview, Gleb shares how Backblaze bootstrapped until the company went public. He talks about why not having money helped him outcompete Amazon, his mistake of courting mummy influencers, and more. Let's get into it. We are really good at serving the mid-market type customers because that's what we've been doing with our computer backup service before. And we said, Amazon, it's great. If you're a Fortune 500 or if you're for the federal government, yeah, there's lots of complexity. You've got a thousand consultants to set up your infrastructure. But if what you want it is just to be easy and affordable and just make it happen and solve the problems, Backblaze is going to be the right choice. So we focused in on that ICP because we felt like it was underserved by Amazon and we were well positioned to serve those customers. There's another startup truism that you went against. Articles for startups say, do not compete on price. Raise your prices, things like that. Yet you are four or five times cheaper than Amazon. So ex explain this. We built a storage infrastructure, which was very efficient. We felt like as a customer who was looking for a storage cloud back before, Amazon was so expensive, it was going to put us out of business if we were using it. We were going to lose money on every single customer. When, when we were able to build the storage cloud for ourselves, we felt we could pass that on to customers. So I'll give you an example. So we have one customer, CloudSpot. They're a SaaS company that, that offers a service for professional photographers. They upload their photography and sell those albums to their customers. They used to be on Amazon and it was so expensive. If you think about it, all the photography, all the videography that these photographers are taking, all that data was actually stored on Amazon S3. It was getting so expensive for CloudSpot to run. They had to remove a tier of service. When they were able to switch to Backblaze, it was so much less expensive. They could introduce a freemium tier, which would grow their business faster. And they could hire more engineers to work on product. By doing that, they got more customers, which grew their company, which added more data, which also meant more revenue for us. It was a win-win on both sides. We look at it and say, it's a $100 billion market. There's a ton of data being created. We don't have to gouge customers. Our goal is make it really easy and really inexpensive for them. And then they'll want to switch over and then their businesses will grow and then we'll get to grow with them. Most challenger brands start with lower pricing than the category leaders to have a competitive advantage. But without structural advantage, it's not sustainable. Somebody can and will be cheaper. So most startups need to move up market eventually. There are exceptions here, like Walmart or Ryanair, that have pricing as their key reason to choose them. But they also have a structural advantage to do so sustainably. 
When you hit your first 1 million in revenue more than 10 years ago, what changed in terms of your product strategy, your go-to-market strategy? Not a ton. We started with computer backup and we continued offering a computer backup service through millions in revenue before we introduced B2. We started also offering the service to businesses. We started getting consumers that would come to us and say, hey, I use your computer backup service at home. It's great, easy, and expensive. And then I'm an IT person at my company. And I'm trying to figure out why I have a better backup product at home for one-tenth the price that I'm buying for my company at, at the office. Let me use Backblaze at my company. So they, effectively, they pulled this into uh, the company. And that required some product uh, strategy change because they needed more management. They needed to do billing administration and some authentication centrally. So we had to change the product somewhat for that. And then from a market perspective, we actually kept a lot of the same go-to-market because we had bootstrapped from basically almost entirely from day one until we took the company public. And, and since we were bootstrapped, we didn't have money to spend on big ad campaigns. The way that we went to market was we primarily wrote blog content that people liked, that would bring people to the website. That worked for consumers, but it actually worked for businesses as well. And so a lot of growth came through that approach. What's the revenue split more or less on the consumer business and, and B2B? The B2B side is bigger, but it's not dra dramatically bigger. We have the computer backup side of our business, which is still more than half of the overall company. And the computer backup side serves consumers. We have the B2 cloud storage, which is that S3 competitor. So it was it, the computer backup business had quite a running start on B2, but B2 is growing really fast. B2 is the area that we focus more on because it's bigger market, the faster growing market, it's the opportunity for us to help more customers. So we have IT people take care of all the backups and the archiving of the data and making sure the data is offsite and protected from ransomware. And all of that is done inside of B2. They also build applications like the, like the CloudSpot that I example. Companies build their applications and run it on B2. Being a bootstrap company and having low cost as your strategy uh, focus point, that creates some sort of uh, boundaries on market uh, trade-offs. Tell me about some of these things you have had to say no to because of your strategy. Low cost is one of the things we focus on. It's one-fifth the price of Amazon. We also focus on making it really easy. Our analyst firm that found that we save our customers 92% of their time, not just their money, their time by using Backblaze. And that's something that mid-market companies care about. And then we've also opened it up as an open cloud ecosystem. So you want to use your data with different companies, not just be locked into the walled garden of Amazon. We make it uh, free and easy to do that. We couldn't spend lots and lots of money on TV, radio ads, even paid search had limitations on what we could do. Um, campaigns that were basically high dollar cost were things that we would experiment with and then find they didn't pay back. It drove us to hone this content and community. The blog, when I started writing it, I started writing before we had a product, I would write blog posts about storage and backup and a handful of people would read it. My brother, my mom, if I asked them to, really very little readership. Then we published this one post about the storage infrastructure that we were building. 
that one blog post had a million people that read that post. And it blew our minds that, that there would be that many people interested in storage infrastructure. And we were thoughtful about how we crafted that blog post and had reached out to the press and did things to make it more viral. But the fact that it was that scale was really surprising. And so then what we did is we just leaned into that. We thought, what are the things that people want to hear from us? How can we tell more of these stories? One of the things that we publish on our blog is we have hundreds of thousands of hard drives. We publish quarterly statistics of the failures of those drives. We have the only public data set on the internet of how reliable our hard drive. And people love that data. They read those and we publish that quarterly and it goes viral. And so that builds awareness. And then we engage with the community around that. And that content and community ends up being a really efficient way to get people to us. Over time, we've layered other go-to-market motions. We have an outbound SDR motion and we have a channel motion, but really that content and community was a very important driver for many years. You have uh, also written that even if you're a startup from taking on uh, giants, being a startup gives you many advantages over giant corporations. Can you talk about some of these advantages? The most a frequent one is being able to be nimble. Large corporations are typically plugged into a path. If Amazon wanted to match our pricing on S3, because they have billions of revenue from S3 today, they would have to cut their costs by 80%. It would cost them billions and billions of dollars right now to do that. It would wipe out the profits of basically like the whole company for them to match our pricing. That's a very hard decision for them to make today. But as a startup, you don't have those challenges. You can talk to a customer and see, hey, this customer needs something new, different, and you can adapt to that. So part of it is that startups can adapt very quickly. They don't need big markets. Storage is a $100 billion market. We don't need 80% market share. If we get 1% of that market, that's a billion in revenue. For us, a million-dollar customer or a $100,000 customer is a great customer for us. We have half a million customers. Each one of them can pay us a little bit, and we can make a, a really good business out of that. Startups have a number of advantages. They can be nimble. They don't need markets to be as big to be successful and to start, especially. And they can iterate through things and through ideas quickly. As you said, the storage market is, is huge. There are a lot of companies that failed where you succeeded. In retrospect, what made you guys succeed where others did not? Some of it was strategies and some of it was luck. If we had venture funded, we probably would have used Amazon S3 as the underlying storage. And we would have said, look, it's too expensive. We're going to lose money on it, but we'll figure it out later because we've got $10 million in cash. Later, we'll figure out how to optimize it. And maybe we would have gotten there. Maybe we would have not. A lot of times, companies addict themselves to expensive motions and expensive behaviors because they have the cash bootstrapping forced us to make decisions that were thoughtful about cash at the expense of not being able to move as fast on certain things. And I think that created a culture where the all employees cared about the dollars spent it forced us to build a platform where we optimize each and every part of it in order to be simply be able to afford to run the company. Later, that paid dividends because we built the platform and the culture 
to focus on that kind of efficiency. Other companies that didn't do that had trouble on some of those aspects. Constrained resources have given SaaS founders some of their biggest inspiration. MailChimp's freemium model, which helped it bootstrap to $12 billion in value, was a result of their low funding. Here's founder Ben Chestnut talking about it in Masters of Scale. We were actually trying to split our product into two and then to offer a list building tool for free. And then if you wanted to send email, you would have to pay us money. However, the code powering MailChimp was too old to be changed without serious reworking. This would take too much time. Ben's lead engineer had a suggestion. You need to think about maybe offering the entire product for free, because that would be a lot easier, but just limit the size of the database. The freemium model was particularly suited to MailChimp. Every new customer would be setting up an email list, and each of those recipients would see that their mail was coming from MailChimp and that they could try it for free. Within a year, we had gone from like several hundred thousand users to a million. And by the next year, we were at two, two million. It's all a blur to me now, uh, but it just kept growing. Being mindful about costs and building your own platform made you build your moat, essentially. We have this three exabyte storage cloud, one of the largest storage clouds on the planet. And we were able to do that because of effectively being forced to do it because we were bootstrapped. What are some of the bets that you made over the years that did not work out? We've had tons of bets that didn't work out. We did a sponsorship. We did a large giveaway of iPads to a, a large influencer. We thought that would be a great way of attracting customers. It was a new ICP for us. We thought that moms who uh, had new babies would be a good audience because they didn't want to lose their photos and they didn't want to lose their videos, that they would be a good audience for us. And so we spent a pretty significant size of money on this influencer campaign that ended up not working, I think, because the ICP was off. What we found was that, yes, moms absolutely did not want to lose photos of their kids, but they are rarely the decision maker for technology. They were not the one choosing or buying this solution that we were offering to make sure that happened. So that was certainly one. I think events have been a mixed bag for us. Early on, we went to events that felt good. And you'd go, you'd have lots of good conversations. You'd walk away going, wow, we, that was great. But when we actually analyzed it, the ROI was rarely there. We had one event absolutely felt perfect. We had the table at the front. People came, 100% of the attendees came and saw us coming in. We took their contact information. It was a local event, so, so the costs were low. Couldn't have been more perfect. But when we did the ROI on it, we said, you know what? The number of people that we saw times the price point times the conversion rate, there's just no math that made that workable. So events have been a mixed bag. Paid search has been a mixed bag. We've had some success, but it's also expensive. The things that we've seen the, the, the best return on with all the content community and PR things. Even though this podcast studies success, it's important to learn from mistakes too. Sheryl Sandberg helped bring a culture of postmortems to Google and Facebook's culture where mistakes were studied. In her book, Option B, she said she learned from the Marines that it's important to create a culture where failure is studied. At Google, a stuffed monkey named Whoops was brought to her weekly meetings. Googlers would share mistakes from the previous week and vote for the biggest screw-up. The winner would get to keep whoops on their desk until somebody else earned the honor. Plus years, 
Looking back, what are your top three pieces of advice for fellow B2B SaaS founders? One of the things is it takes time. Companies that shut down over time said things like, this market is no longer viable. And then a new company two years later would start up, chase that same market and build something. People say, oh my God, how did you go from bootstrapping from zero to IPO? Like it's an overnight success. It's an overnight success that took 16 years, right? It's just having the staying power for your team, for the, the cash flow of the business, the longevity of it takes time. Part of it is just thinking about what will it take to ensure that the company keeps going? The, the other is to not get ahead of your skis. A lot of companies want to rush into things. They're, they're like, I've got this idea. We're going to hire a bunch of salespeople to go chase that. Hire 20 engineers to build that. We're going to run, 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 run. Then the product took longer to ship, but now you've got all these expensive salespeople waiting to sell it. You, you've hired 20 engineers, but really you need three engineers to start the prototype and then hire the rest. A lot of times there's a desire to move fast, to throw lots of resources and, and lots of money and lots of things at it before you've honed in on, do customers want this product? Is this marketing campaign actually working? The, the last one is to find people that you really want to work with. Find the people that you want to do this with and then just one foot in front of the other, build it. So how did Backblaze win? First, by laser focusing on underserved mid-market customers who wanted easy, affordable cloud storage. We focused in on that ICP because we felt like it was underserved by Amazon and we were well positioned to serve those customers. Second, they used low pricing as their structural advantage. Fundamentally, we built a storage infrastructure which was very, very efficient. And third, by bootstrapping for over 10 years. This instilled a culture obsessed with low costs and efficient operations. We couldn't spend lots and lots of money on TV, radio ads, even paid search had limitations on what we could do. It drove us to hone this content and community. And that's how you win. I'm Pepe Lau. For more tips on how to win, follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thanks for listening.